building entire and just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is, wait, whatever happened to Rob Kelly? <laughs> yeah, we uh, in this episode, we are going to answer the question, whatever happened to this feature on the show? Because we right. haven't done it in almost a year. We have the coolest thing about this is, and this is unbelievable for you and I, we are actually finishing a project. Like, I, isn't I think it amazing? Yeah. In, in the history of this sh- of of the network, I mean, other guys like Siskoi to finish pro- major projects with Invasion and him and Boss and and Ryan finished Secret Origins. You and I, I don't think we have finished anything before no. today. No, no, we we start these projects and then they just go on parallel tracks, add into infinity. Right, exactly. It's like who's who. I mean, we've got that thing plotted out for another ten years, even though there's only a few issues left. But this one, we actually finished something. I'm I'm so excited. I feel so. I feel complete inside. So. <laughs> well, that's good. Exactly. Well, before we get into whatever happened to and that exciting feature, we should take a second to thank our sponsor, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, what'd you bring, Rob? Okay. uh, Well, I'll be talking about the Black Pirate uh, today, and uh, there aren't very many Black Pirate stories. In fact, I couldn't find any uh, that are available in reprint form, so I just decided to go with something else, piratey. And in this case, it is Disney Masters Hardcover Volume 7, uh, The Pirates of Tabasco Bay, which hmm. is a uh, reprint of so Mickey Mouse. Spicy. Yes, uh, but it was reprints of Mickey Mouse comics by Paul Murray and Carl Fallberg. Uh, Mickey's uncle wants to bring the tourists back to his fading seaside resort, and Mickey and Goofy think populating the pier with the fierce pirate cosplayers is the perfect situation. <laughs> I don't think they called it back, called them cosplayers in that Probably time. not. Is, is the perfect solution, but when our heroes unwittingly open the floodgates for a real pirate raid by Black Pete and his scurvy crew, it looks like our heroes will be going from plan to plank. Uh, this is from oh. Fantagraphics. It's 184 pages. It's a hardcover. They're really 
beautiful additions. The cover you see of Mickey and Goofy in their pirate costumes. I've, I am completely unfamiliar with the work of Paul Murray. I never read any Mickey Mouse comics growing up, but apparently he is like – I don't know if he's like the level of like the Carl Barks of Mickey Mouse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he's certainly – a, a renowned artist because I did some research on him before I plugged this and uh, he really had an amazing career and did apparently an incredible run on Mickey Mouse. So the normal price for this book, $29.99 in stock trades price, $20.99. That is 30% off. So these look like some very fun pirate comics for the Disney fan uh, in your life. That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, in, in my theme, I'm, I'm covering a Starman story, which is drawn and, and co-plotted by um, Jim Starlin. So when you're thinking Jim Starlin, you got to think about the death of Captain Marvel, which is where I went. So there is a death of Captain Marvel trade paperback new printing over on InStock Trades, and it collects a ton of stuff. It collects the first few issues, uh, first few appearances of Captain Marvel, which was in Marvel Superheroes. Uh, it's got the first issue of Captain Marvel. It's got the one where he starts to contract the cancer. It's got some spotlight issues, and it's got the graphic novel, The Death of Captain Marvel. This thing is massive. I don't have the page count on it, but with all those comics in there, it is not small, folks. But you've got um, check out the cred on this thing. You know, Stan Lee. And Gene Colan did the original stories with Captain Marvel. Then later on, you get to the Jim Starlin stuff. So I mean, so there's amazing art. There's great stories in here. Now, this thing normally retails for $19.99, which is pretty affordable, honestly, for all those great comics. But you can get it on in-stock trades for 42% off, so it's only $11.59. Now, I don't know if you're a Captain Marvel guy, Rob. I don't get a chance to talk about him very often, but I actually am. I have read uh, – I'm looking here. I've got the giant Marvel Essential, which is like 500 pages of Captain Marvel Adventures. I've read that. I've read some of the – I've got a couple of hardcovers. I've got the Death of Captain Marvel. I've got a lot of his stuff, and I really enjoyed the series. Did you ever read Captain Marvel? No, I've actually really the story I'm most familiar with him uh, from is the death of, uh, okay. which is a great. Ca- I love that book, but uh, no, I haven't read that many Captain Marvel comics really. A lot of people will fuss and say like he doesn't really become cool until he merges with, with uh, Rick Jones. I say that's not true. Those original stories, I would guarantee that made you not cool. <laughs> well, they're they're actually pretty good stories, but uh, I I like the earlier stuff even when he's wearing the green and white suit uh, when they introduce you know um, oh gosh Carol Danvers and all the earlier princes anyway fun stuff definitely check it out folks go to book and go out to in stock trades and get both this pirate book and the Captain Marvel book uh, you can get those and be sure to tell them the Fire and Water Podcast Network sent you. So, yes, we are completing our journey here on DC Comics Presents Whatever Happened To. We have uh, – let's take a little walk down history lane here, folks. We have covered whatever happened to Our Man, Sargon, Sargon the Sorcerer, Congorilla, Johnny Thunder, Do- the, the cowboy, Dr. Midnight. That's important. Dr. Midnight, yeah. <laughs> the Golden Age Adam. Robot Man, Mark Merlin and Prince Ramon, Star Hawkins, Rex the Wonder Dog, Rip Hunter, Crimson Avenger, Richard Dragon, The Airwave, Sandman, Sandy, and now we're going to cover uh, the Star. We're going to cover Starman and Black Pirate. So I am very excited about this. Also, if you want further coverage on Dark, or, uh, sorry, DC Comics Presents, go over and check out our friend Russell Bragg's show, DC Comics Presents show, where he has wrapped up and done the coverage of every single uh, issue. So pretty impressive. He finished his project before we did. Uh, <laughs> well, he just had one series to worry about, though, to be fair. Says the guy who's working on Who's Who and still not done. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess we're going to do Starman first because it was chronologically that way. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, we should say that this story uh, is a full-length story, and and it's not officially part of the whatever happened to corpus, as it were. Uh, there was an article in Back Issue, which we'll talk about probably later on, which chronicles the history of this of this feature, and this story is not listed. Uh, but I I always it, I always figure that it's included because because of the title. It's whatever happened to Starman. They could have called it anything else. So to me, by calling it that, makes it part of this series, even though it is the main feature, not the backup. I totally agree. And before you know what, I'm glad you brought up the, the Back Issue article. Let's do that first, actually, because that's more broad scoping. Yeah, Back okay. Issue. Back issue number 64 did several features on different backup uh, stories. And it's really – it's a fantastic issue. I just bought it digitally myself. I was reading through it. It's really, really great. But it specifically covers uh, the whatever happened to feature. Now, I learned – Rob and I were talking off air. I think we both learned a whole bunch about these features that I didn't realize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, part of the idea, which we've always known was with these backup features, was to keep characters, their, their IP, to keep it out there so they keep the copyright. That's part of it. Also, a lot of it was done to sort of complement the lead feature. For example, when we get to Black Pirate, it's going to be Black Pirate is in an issue with Aquaman. Well, they're both kind of sea-themed, so that's sort of – there's a logical connection there. Other times, they would put in like a, a Roy Raymond or something or, or, or a feature about somebody, and it was specifically to tie in with another book where that character might be showing up in that, another book in a few months. So as to sort of remind the readers who these characters were, which is pretty cool. And, and, and part of the reason also is by this point, those big bumper books, the ones that were like 100 pages where they would include you know, all those backup stories and reprints, those were starting right. to come out of fashion. So this is a way to tell new stories. And uh, also, if I remember, didn't they just increase the page size in the comics and they had to fill eight pages? That Right. That was something else too because DC went from like 40 cents to 50 cents. And they were like, well, you, you know, we're charging you more, but you're also going to get more pages. And there was this whole effort to add more backup features in the books, and this was one of those features. Ironically, DC would try that again, you know, in the 2000s when they when they increased the prices as well. So something what, they always go to, yeah. Yep. So what was the biggest aha thing for? I, I think I know what it is, but what was the biggest aha for thing for you when you read this article? Uh, what do you mean aha? Surprising. Something you learned that you didn't know. Um, well, that we talked about uh, one of the writers for this feature was Mike Tiefenbacher, and that he pitched a lot of stories, and some of the characters that he pitched whatever happened to's were were for Black Hawk. Uh, which would have been cool, although, of course, they didn't end up leaving that uh, with Mark Evanier and Dan Spiegel. Genius Jones, uh, <laughs> Nighthawk, Night who he, he was going to tie into Blackhawk. They were going to be related because, of course, everybody has the same last name. must be related. Wait, uh, it, it, it goes further. Rip Hunter was going to father Tomahawk. Right, yeah. And the Tomahawk yeah. would be connected to Nighthawk, and Nighthawk would be connected to Blackhawk. Right. <laughs> uh, Ragman, the Sea Devils, the Silent Night, Wildcat, and he even wanted to do Captain Action. Yeah. Uh, which was insane because they were like, well, we don't even own the rights to that character. And he just wrote it anyway. So I thought that was really funny. <laughs> he, uh, it was a lot of interesting stuff in there about him. Now, he, he gets mentioned a lot. And, you know, his, you and I have talked about him before in the show. He wrote some of our favorite uh, of whatever happened to yes, stories. He did. And, and it really – like reading this article, and I'm trying to read between the lines. So some of this is my inference, folks. Don't – don't, don't preach this as gospel. But I really get the sense, you know, he's a fan turned pro because he was working for some of the fanzines, got, got published. But then he doesn't get much work after this. I almost wonder if maybe he was a, a, a little too much fan, you know, fan fandom in there. Or maybe they, they, they were trying to keep him out because they didn't want to let all the fans in. Although, ironically, Roy Thomas and Len Wein and all these people were fans originally and they came into the industry. I, don't, I just felt like there had to be some reason he was sort of locked out. And I don't know what that would have been. 
Well, not everybody lasts, you know? I mean, there are some writers you see that you're just like, who's that? And they only have a couple of credits, and they, they fade out. And he certainly had the talent because, as you said, some of his some of these stories are, are that he did were great. Uh, some of, You went through that list of of backups that we talked about. There's some really great stories here. That's why, that's why we're doing it in the first place because there's some real high-quality stuff here. And actually, hang around to the end of the show, folks, because when we get done with our recaps, Rob and I are going to go through some of our favorites and some of our least favorites and just uh, some fun discussion about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the biggest aha for me in this was Roy Thomas. So it's interesting, at least according to this article, and I think Roy is quoted and he backs it up. Roy came on board after this feature had started, and he was coming on board to do the All Star Comics series. Well, it became a bit of a problem for him. All Star Squadron. What did I say? All Star Comics. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking of the '70s revival. Yeah, of course. Sorry. It's, it's okay. an easy mistake to make. So uh, he came on board for All Star Squadron, and suddenly he's got a bit of a problem. The characters he's featuring in 1940s are getting their stories told at the same time in DC Comics Presents saying, here's what happened to them. So it's sort of taking some of the creative wind out of those sails. And so he went to Julie Schwartz and basically said, hey, you know, do your feature or whatever, but please don't do Golden Age characters anymore. And so that that kind of effectively create, you know, shut down some of the efforts for these backups. They lost all the, the Golden Age characters to do. Now, they went ahead and did some anyway, which uh, sounds like, at least, at least the way the article paints, it looks like there was a little bit of conflict over that. <laughs> but so then they started leaning more into the Silver Age characters and things like that. So I, I found this sort of interesting that Roy Thomas played a role in whether intentional or not intentionally killing, I think I think he ultimately kind of helps towards killing the whole feature. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I mean, I, part of that is just... I, 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 don't know, I don't know if I would pin it on Roy as it is the, the changing yeah, I'm not, comics. I'm not trying to pin it all. I'm sorry. Right, the, the changing comics landscape is that they just realized that there was more of a market value for digging up these old characters and it didn't need to be kind of tossed away in an eight-page thing in the back. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, I was a little like, well, I, I thought, geez, if they really wanted to keep it going, they had a million other characters. They didn't have to touch the Golden Age at all if they didn't want to. You know what's interesting, too, is, and you sort of mentioned it, there's other venues, other ways to do this. And we'll get to this when we get to the end. But starting about 1982, when this feature ended, they did start bringing a lot of characters back. But rather than giving them a little one-off feature, they would guest star next to a character. They'd guest star in a Superman book or have something going on. So I guess I should save that for the end. But yeah, 1982 seems to be at the time where they really started digging deeper into the archives for characters, which is interesting. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So, yeah, go check out back issue number 64. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So, all right. Well, let's get into DC Comics Presents number 36 on sale May 7th, 1981. Whatever Happened to Starman by Paul Levitz and Jim Starlin. So, as the issue opens, we focus on Starman, formerly known as Prince Gavin, now known as Lord Emperor Gavin. Uh, He's attending the funeral of his sister, the Empress Clarissa. The ceremony prompts Gavin to reflect on his past, giving us giving us a flashback telling us the origin of the character. Now, here's the short version. Years ago, when his sister was crowned empress, Gavin was then jettisoned into space to kill him to keep him from potentially making a claim on the throne. Very interesting sort of royal succession process there. I think they have the same thing in England. Uh, he was rescued by this alien named Mintor, or Monitor. I don't know how you want to pronounce it. It looks like Minotaur to me, but anyway. And he gave uh, Gavin these jeweled wristbands and a staff, which gave him powers, including the ability to fly through space and shoot all columns of bolts and energy, very cosmic-type powers. He then uh, he became this hero known as Starman, and he protected the Empire. Now, more recently, Empress Clarissa has been murdered, and Prince Gavin was quickly crowned, becoming the Lord Emperor of the Empire. Turns out that the alien tyrant Mongol is responsible for Empress Clarissa's death and the kidnapping of Starman's lady love, uh, a woman named Lady uh, Mariah. 
So Starman locates Lady Mariah and ends up in a confrontation with Mongol. Starman is beaten and captured, and Mongol forces Lady Mariah to be his consort, and Mongol takes over as the Emperor of Throne World. Luckily, Superman is drawn to the conflict in all of this, so the Man of Steel arrives and frees Starman. The heroes split up. Superman goes to face Mongol on Throne World, where Starman flies into the heart of their sun to deal with this weapon that's controlled by Mongol that can destroy countless worlds with a single thought. Superman arrives on Throne World to keep Mongol distracted and gives uh, Starman the time he needs to destroy the planet-killing device. Superman doesn't pull any punches, and it's just this huge, huge, brutal battle between Superman and Mongol. In the end, Mongol is actually the one who's triumphant. As Mongol addresses the planets in his empire and threatens to destroy them, Starman completes his mission, and Mongol's leverage over the worlds is lost. The planets of the empire then fly away under their own power using giant engines. Yes, I said the planets themselves fly away. Kind of freaky. And Superman and Starman then confront Mongol, intimidating him enough that he teleports away instead of fighting. Which works out, because Superman and Starman are both completely bluffing. They are totally exhausted and could not have beaten Mongol at all. So with the Empire dissolved, Starman doesn't have to be the Emperor anymore, and he looks forward to a simpler, happier life with his love, the Lady Mariah, when with that, Superman starts to head back to Earth, which is a long, long way away. So that is the recap. What did you think of the issue? This thing completely shocked me, because I loved it. I loved it, and I really never liked the strip in Adventure Comics, which this is a direct sequel to. Uh, and it was all done by the same person, Paul Levitz. Uh, I used to buy those issues of Adventure Comics right off the stands. They started with uh, Starman. They de- debuted Starman alongside Plastic Man mm-hmm. as, a, as a split book. And I bought those at the time, and then around, I think around eight issues in, they brought in Aquaman, which is one of, we've already talked about. It's one of my favorite runs with the character by J.M. DeVitaeus. But I, and I love Plastic Man, and I remember being a kid, and I would get to the Starman feature, and I would almost just kind of breeze by it, because it just didn't interest <laughs> me. Or I tried to read it, and it just, I was just like, eh, I, maybe it's a thing about that it's outer space, or, because we know I have a hatred of outer space superheroes. Um, maybe it was the, the artwork, is that it was Steve Ditko and Romeo Tango, although I like Steve Ditko just fine. But the strip just never clicked for me. Then I read this, and this is the first time I ever read this comic for this episode, mm-hmm. and I completely love this story. And I'm thinking, is it Jim Starlin? Now, Jim Starlin is not given any sort of story credit, but we all know Jim Starlin was very, very big on space characters. And I well, have to wonder. It says, it says Paul Levitz and Jim Starlin storytellers, so yeah, it is I mean, vague. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's just a sort of more creative way of, you know, just saying writer artist kind of thing. But right, but maybe Jim had some effect on this story that Paul wrote because I love this story. I thought it was so fun. I love the vi- I mean, I, I, I'm going to interrupt you for one second, yeah. just and then I wanted to get right back to it. The crazy thing is, it's like you're reading my notes. Mine is exactly the same. The Starman strip never did anything for me. In fact, I sort of resented it because it bumped Aquaman. You know, when it first when he first appeared, because Aquaman was in the issues leading up to it, and then uh, you know, in, in 466, Aquaman's there. 467, Aquaman's gone, and Starman's there. I was not happy. And well, he bumped was, everybody, not just Aquaman. I know, but well, all I cared about was Aquaman, though. Well, so true. I got mad about that. The uh, Prince Gavin himself, he, he, you know, in the 1980s, there was a DC superhero called um, uh, uh, Will Payton, Starman, who's like one right. of my personal favorites. I absolutely love right. this character. Well, later on in the 1990s, James Robinson and his Starman series, he sort of forever connected Prince Gavin and Will Payton in a way that I don't like. So I hated Prince Gavin even more for that. And like you, this is the first time I've read this comic. I did it for this podcast. And like you, I love this comic book. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I, 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 back to you. But it's just crazy how parallel we are there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I love the cover of Superman and Starman going face to face, and there's the serpent. Uh, I love that word of Mongol in the <laughs> background. Uh, I love all the recaps. I love the new uniform that he's mm-hmm. got, the, the blue jumpsuit. That looks really cool. And there's some panels where they decide to make it all black, like for mm-hmm. no good reason. They just make it like an all black silhouette. That looks even cooler. Like to me, I'd be like, just give him that suit. I think it looks really cool. Mongol, of course, we all know Jim Strong. I think is one of his favorites because he's very similar to some other character that he <laughs> has some involvement with. Um, Starlin's layouts are really interesting. I like the characterization of Superman here. He's kind of not quite so like an all-encompassing god sort mm-hmm. of figure. He's kind of enjoying himself. He's like he loves pounding the crap out of Mongol, which is fun. <laughs> the fight between Superman and Mongol is particularly savage, like yes. much more than you saw in a sort of typical comic. There's there's one panel where Mongol says enough Superman and he like literally just pounds Superman's face into the ground, which is great. Um I love the the flashback, the recap with all like the, the nine panels. The super I love the the final bit where Superman watches Starman and uh, Maria get it on and we see we just see their legs and Superman's like, uh, awkward, I guess I'm right. just gonna fly home now. <laughs> I completely loved this comic and if this had been the Starman strip in Adventure Comics, I think I would have loved it. But I, I I don't know. I don't know what, whose idea it was to get Starlin, but it was great because this – to me, I'm like, oh, now I get it. This character is really cool. Oh, I think it's – some of it has got to be Starlin's influence. It's got to be some of it. it First of all, the, the, the costume has to be Starlin because he's the artist in the book, and it looks so much better in this format. And, and, and that's – you know, that's, that gets you half the way there. But the story is so good. And you mentioned Mongol. I mean Starlin and Mongol, it, it's – you know, if you don't know your history, look, look up when Darkseid premiered, then look up uh, the premiere of Thanos, and then look up the premiere of Mongol. And there's like a direct line. Basically, you get Darkseid. Thanos is Marvel's version of that. Then Mongol is DC's version of Thanos. It's really sad how they're all connected. And Jim Starlin's tied up with quite a bit of this because he loves the cosmic stuff. And, and you know, if you look back too, at this point, Starlin had done um, his work over at Marvel on um, what did he do? He'd done Captain Marvel. Warlock. And he done Warlock in the mid seventies. So then, uh, now he's still about nine months. Believe it or not, this is before Death of Captain Marvel. This is about nine months before that. But yes, yeah, and so Starlin was already doing a lot of plotting with writers. So I got to think this was co-plotted or, or maybe it was, he, he gave him a basic plot and said, you know, have him fight for five pages or something. I just really feel like Starlin's hand, uh, hand fingerprints are all over this thing. It really feels like it that to me. And I think that may be the difference. Maybe so. I, it's the only thing I can think of is, I mean, I don't mean to besmirch Paul Levitt, who I think is a good writer, but it just, I don't know that those, those strips with Ditko just didn't click. And then this one just completely worked for me from beginning to end. And I you have to figure what's the different, What's the different element? Well, it's Starlin, and Starlin was great at space-related comics, so mm-hmm. I, I think it's a safe assumption that he had a lot more influence on this than, say, Ditko, who was probably literally just drawing it as a job. You know, just took it and drew it and sent the pages back. This this feels like a – if you did, like, the space comics of Jim Starlin, you would have to include this because it feels of a piece. Oh, I would think so, yeah. Now, I didn't realize this until I was doing some research, or I guess I had forgotten. This is sort of a sequel to some earlier DC Comics present stories, not with Starman, but Mongol. Mongol had become right. a pseudo-reoccurring villain throughout this stuff, so this is like the third part of a Mongol storyline, I guess. And then uh, here's another interesting thing. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Superman doesn't show up in the this Superman comic, right, he doesn't show page, page twelve. 12. Yeah. yeah, isn't that crazy? How was Julie Schwartz okay with that? You know, how did he get this plot and go? Where's Superman in my Superman comic? You know, 
So I, I'm, I'm amazed that it worked out right. Now, another thing about his costume, too, the, the shepherd staff that Starman carries, the only two characters I can think of that carry a shepherd staff in comics are Highfather and Starman. I can't think of anyone else. Oh, it's, I can think of another one. Uh-oh, who? I think uh, Seraph. The the character the superhero from Israel who appeared in Super Friends I think he has uh, one of those. Oh, you know that sounds about right. I do I, now you say that I do remember some international character carrying one. Okay, well it, it's still a very very unique uh, device or, or or tool for someone to carry, and it just looks really cool on him. Now I, I don't know if it's supposed to imply him as like you know, the prince shepherding his his people. I don't know, but it, it looks great though. It just is a cool looking thing. Would have made a great superpowers accessory. Sure thing. And it's also a little sim- reminiscent of, you know, Ted, Ted Knight with his cosmic rod. You know, he had a, a handheld device, and later on, Jack Knight will have a big old rod, staff one. So it's a, maybe, maybe there's a thing with Starman having poles. Yeah, don't, don't go any further with that. But um, do, you have a, do you have the comic in front of you by chance? I do. Go to page 22 of the story, if you would. Okay. It's the page where Thanos is addressing uh, all the Thanos? People. Well, I didn't mean to say that, but I'm going to say that. Uh, it, it's the, I mean, it's, come on, it's Mongol. It was, it was a ripoff of Thanos. Anyway, Thanos is – darn it, Mongol is addressing all of the people, the worlds he's taken over. All right, are you on page 21? Yes, I am. 22, the top you said. You said 22. Okay, yeah, 22. Look in the top right-hand panel. All right, all the heads, right? Yeah. Who, who is right above Mongol's uh, uh, bicep? Uh, his by bi- oh there's there's Thanos Thanos that's why I kept saying Thanos because <laughs> Thanos is in the background. Oh, that's great I didn't notice that oh that's so, super cool. So oh, Starlin's that's funny. having some fun here too, which is great. And I probably wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't read this. Um, this is on the DC app by the way, so I was reading it in panel by panel mode, which you know I love. And so that's I had it you know full screen on my tablet. I think that's probably why I noticed it. But like oh my gosh. <laughs> There's also a guy that looks like Sargon the Sorcerer. I don't know oh, what really? that's about. But yeah, and there's okay. The guy with a weird pointy nose, and yeah, there's some fun stuff in there. Oh, that's cr- oh, that's like, really looks like funny. Tear over the back of his neck with a with yeah. A, oh, that's that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> nice job, Jim Starlin. Now, the only thing I would criticize about Starlin's art, and, and this is a minor nitpick, because believe me, this issue is stunning to look at. It's beautiful, like you said. It's it's the action's great. It's very dynamic. Is uh, Superman's face is a tiny bit off? Not horribly, but just a just a little bit. And I don't know that that's always kind of like bugged me a bit, but. Always, as in I just read this yesterday. But um, but other than that, it's, it's just a stunning comic, and I'm thrilled. I'm so glad we read this. And even though it's not technically in the tenet of whatever happened to I think it's great. And, and if nothing else, the first couple pages giving you his origin and leading you to where he goes, it feels like it's a piece of whatever happened to because you do get you, – you follow through the character where he started and where he ended up. It's interesting. I mean, this was obviously planned uh, a while back because the end, at the the last Starman installment in Adventure Comics, which is in 478, it ends in the middle of the story. Mm. And it literally says, to be concluded, and the pages of DC Comics presents soon. Wow. Uh, so obviously they planned it. Now, whether they knew Starlin was going to do it or they had hoped Ditko would continue on, I have no idea. But, I mean, this this whatever happened to feature, I mean, Starlin, th- that adventure strip had been less than a year later. So obviously uh, they had planned this for a long time. And, uh, you know, so it's, again, it's sort of cheating the whatever happened to format because Starman hasn't been gone very long at all. But it's okay. You know, when, when the when the finished result is this good, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So super fun comic, really enjoy the heck out of it. So pick yourself up a copy or get it, you know, read it on the DC app or whatever you need to do to get your hands on it. Definitely check it out. Uh, it was new for both Rob and I, and I think we're both very pleased with it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, we were, we even talked about, you know, when we were going to wrap up this feature for a while. And I think we kept kind of 
going back and forth about whether we wanted to include the Starman story because it was like, well, it's not really one of the strips. No, it's not uh, a backup. But it's not a backup. But I'm glad we did because then I probably never would have read it. Yeah, same here. Uh, and it was really good. So. See, I'm not as in love with the cover as you because, like, for me, the cover's, like, bright yellow and it's got, like, lots of caption boxes on it. So, it like, does have a lot of captions. Yeah, yeah, so for me, it's like the cover wasn't a huge turn on. And then also, it's you know, it's like Starman. It got, again, the guy who bumps Aquaman from Adventure Comics. So I'm not happy. Right. So, right. yeah, I don't think I would have read it either. And I'm really glad I did. Yeah, good stuff. Really good stuff. So, uh, okay, I guess we're going to move on to the actual final uh, yes. Whatever happened to Strip, which appeared in DC Comics Presents number 48, which was on sale May 6th, 1982. So it's almost exactly a year later. Uh, and it is Whatever Happened to the Black Pirate and Son by Roy Thomas and Alfredo Alcala. Uh, the story is the man known as the Black Pirate, John Valor, has a nightmare about the day his son, Justin, was slain by Spanish conquistadors. On the day of his son's death, Valor revealed his identity as the Black Pirate to the King of England, retiring the mantle. Now, years later, the Minister of War presses Valor to take up the mantle of the Black Pirate once again in service to the Crown to investigate the potential connection between the Dutch and the pirates plundering England's ships. The Dutch port is filled with the King's enemies, a.k.a. the Puritans. The Black Pirate attempts to discern the connection between piracy and the Puritans, running headlong into... His son, Justin. <gasps> Turns, yeah, I know. Turns out that the Puritans found Justin, half-dead and amnesiac, washed up on their coast. They nursed him back to health, and by the time Justin's memories returned, he had become a Puritan, too. Rather than face his parents with the news of his conversion, Justin chose to remain dead. Justin leads the pirates his father has come looking for, plundering English merchant vessels to garner money for the Puritans to fund their long journey to America, where they will be free of England's religious intolerance. Englishmen of war are sighted on the horizon under the command of the Minister of War. Having only just been reunited with his son, the Black Pirate fights on Justin's side against England. After cannon fire sinks the flagship, the rest of the fleet turns away in defeat. Justin puts on the traditional garb of the Puritans, says goodbye to his dad, and sets sail for America. So in a roundabout way, the Black Pirate has still ended the threat of the pirates to England's waters, thus fulfilling his mission. Dun, so, all right. So, Shag, what did you think of this? I really enjoyed this one. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't too jazzed about it, thinking about it. Just like, oh, Black Pirate, okay, whatever. And then I kept getting confused with the pirate story from uh, Watchmen, uh, which was what, <laughs> the Black Freighter, I think, or whatever. Yeah, Tales of the Black Freighter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this was a lot of fun. Boy, the art was gorgeous. I mean, Alfredo Alcala, wow, what a great artist. First of all, the guy does faces like nobody's business. They're really great. But then his work with like the ships, the Spanish galleons and stuff are just Stunning. Um, you know, it was a fun little story. I mean, it was a little predictable as far as like, oh, his son's still alive. Oh, his son is, you know, his enemy now, that kind of thing. Um, but it, also, I found the history lesson kind of nice, um, where the whole idea about the Puritans being over there in England, like, I don't know whether I learned history here or just learned DC Comics version of history, but I feel like I learned a little bit about the Puritan struggle against England. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, just to give a little bit of context, the Black Pirate was a character that had long first appeared in Sensation Comics number one. So he goes back a long way right, and was in that book alongside Wonder Woman. Then he had a long run in all American comics. His previous appearance before this was in JLA number 160, which is the JLA-JSA team-up where they actually went back in time, and uh, not brought back in time, but they brought characters out of time, and Black Pirate was one of those, and that was around 1977. His last appearance before that was in Amer- All-American Comics 102 in 1948, 
So he had really lined dormant for a long time. And then he laid dormant once again until Roy Thomas again used him in All-Star Squadron number 54 and 55, uh, where he uh, once again appeared with some historical characters out of time and teamed up with Firebrand and some stuff like that. Um, If if I can, according to Wikipedia, he first appeared in Action Comics instead of Sensation Comics. Um, No, I thought it was Sensation Comics. You you may be right. I'm just – I'm looking at Wikipedia. That's – no, it's it's that, that's wrong. That's that's actually wrong. It's it's definitely Sensation Comics. Okay, all right. I think we. I in fact, we need to go through that that issue of uh, that episode of Who's Who and find that because I think we point that out at the time because uh, that's a big mistake. Because I covered Sensation Comics number one for Treasury Cast, and the story is in that comic. Oh, sweet. Okay. You know what this probably was? This is probably just a case of Mark Baker Wright going to Wikipedia and editing it. So it's entirely possible. Just to be <laughs> wrong. Um, I like to, I like to debate the audience. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good idea. Um, no. No, uh, what, and well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because uh, the, the I liked this story, but I didn't love it. And the reason is because okay. I have I have no familiarity with Black Pirate stories other than the first appearance in Sensation Comics number one, which I've read thanks to it being a Treasury comic. It was mm-hmm. a famous first edition. So um, the only other really knowledge I have of him outside of these guest appearances in JLA and All-Star Squadron is, of course, that marvelous who's who listing drawn by Jerry Ordway. <laughs> uh, okay. And so you, you look at that listing and it's got him looking like Errol Flynn and he's doing all kinds of pirate daring do. And so when I see that, I'm like, well, is that what the strip is? Is it him being a pirate? And if that's the case, then him – like so much of the story being about his son, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't care about the son. I want the black mm. pirate to like do pirate stuff. I see. Uh, but, okay. I have, but I have no idea. I haven't read any of these other stories. So maybe his son was like, like his Robin to black pirates, Batman. I have no idea. Well, what I had read before reading this was that uh, his strip started off very much pirate daring do, and then became more, not quite superhero-esque, but, you know, he became sure. more of a hero- heroic, save-the-day kind of character by the end of the strip. So I kind of went into this expecting more of a traditional save-the-day. I mean, it, it, in some respects, this reminds me a little bit of the later Captain Fear stuff as if yes. Simonson hadn't drawn them. Right. If, if Simonson hadn't drawn Captain Fear and it had been drawn by somebody else, it would have been a little bit like this, I think. So uh, I felt it was very reminiscent of that. So, it, in fact, Black, Black Pirate versus Captain Fear would be a fun comic to read. That would be. That would be really cool if they ever did that. Um, so so, so I, ha- I have I, to mention, since you were throwing out comic yes. book appearances, do you know where he played a major role in the 1990s? The 1990s? No, yeah. I do not. James Robinson Starman again. <laughs> wow. I mean, that guy loves to dig in and pull old stuff. So, yeah, he was in James Robinson Starman as a ghost. And I won't say much more than that, but he played a pretty important role in there. And uh, and I didn't know this, and I must have seen this and sadly flushed it from my memory, but apparently John Valor does make an appearance in the Legends of Tomorrow TV show as well. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was wearing the Black Pirate costume. And, and the sad part is I watched that episode probably in the last year, and I don't remember it, but it says he's a time pirate. A captain named John Valor is introduced uh, in Episode 7. So I, I apparently watched it. I don't remember that. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I do. I do. I will mention the the art you mentioned, uh, Alfredo Alcala. Uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, this stuff looks like um, well, kind of like woodcuts that okay. you would see in in sort of like a like a prose novel. They look like spot illustrations you would see in a book. Uh, so I mean, it, and it's a perfect uh, perfect style for this. The the opening splash page is great of the black pirate and actually his son dressed in in his costume. Uh, they're you know stabbing guys with their lances and stuff like that. So that looks really cool. Um, so yeah, it, it's a beautiful looking trip, and I liked it just fine. But I just didn't care about the son and his 
going off to be a Puritan. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I just wanted more of the Black Pirate being a Black Pirate. But nevertheless, otherwise, and it's one of the things I do like about this story, and this was a criticism we had of other Whatever Happened To's, this does conclude his story. Uh, um, some of true. the other Whatever Happened To's are just another adventure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it doesn't really draw the character. It doesn't really either bring the character back out of retirement or conclude their journey. It's just another adventure. This one is, the, you know, ostensibly the final chapter of the Black Pirate, which is nice. It's a nice way to wrap it up. It's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you're right. And Starman fits that mold, too, because that was very much a, a last adventure of him. Yeah, as let's Prince conclude Gavin. this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and I must admit, just because i got to get it in, this comic, this original comic on the inside back cover <laughs> does feature an ad for the Joe Cupid School of Cartoon and Graphic Art. So, okay. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go with what was the cover feature of this issue, which is also relative. Well, which we've already covered, actually. We, we did that in an issue of an episode of uh, Fire and Water, which we talked about this Superman-Aquaman team-up. So that's a good comic, too. This is all, all around a very did good we, comic. Did we really? I'm mm-hmm. completely blanking on that. Of course, I mean, yeah, we've been we doing did, this eight years. We've been doing this eight years, so. I mean. Yes, we did it. No, we did a team up episode where we talked about a Firestorm team up and an Aquaman team up. Okay. There might have even been both DC Comics Presents stories. I'm not sure. We've done that. I know a few we times, covered so, this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it's, so it's a good story. It's a good, again, I, I actually ironically love the Starman one more, which I would not have expected going into this. Right. <laughs> I can see that. Um, I, I, I would agree. I think the Starman one's probably better, but uh, I think I like the, the Black Pirate one better than you do. I think it was fun. It, uh, it really sort of invigorates that urge in me to read more non-superhero comics, mm-hmm. to read more yes. high-adventure comics. Because like when we did the Captain Fear – and by the way, folks, it, if you don't listen to the Who's Who show, we did an episode called Who's That on Captain Fear. And you want to hear Rob and I just gush excitedly like giddy little oh, children. Oh, waxed his sword big time. <laughs> the the Captain Fear pirate comics were so good, and it just that got me sort of invigorated to read non superhero comics as well. So yeah, I just uh, I don't know, it makes me want to seek out some good stuff, uh, high adventure. Yep, good. Yeah, that yeah that was uh, that. Oh yeah, we love Captain Fear. <laughs> we really did. Well, speaking of things we love, why not, Rob came up with a fun idea for us to wrap up this episode, to wrap up this segment that we started all those years ago. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you walk us down through this, Rob? I, I, you haven't seen my notes. I've seen yours. I made my notes several days ago, and I'm shocked at certain things that paralleled, and then uh, I'm shocked at things that deviated. So well, let's, let's do this. It'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, since this is the final uh, episode of the Whatever Happened to installments, uh, and we decided, even though we now have an FW Present show, which I don't think we had a year ago, or maybe we did, I don't remember, we've, we've chosen to keep this in the Aquaman and Firestorm show thread, even though neither one of those characters are here <laughs> in, in any of these comics. It's sort of um, like our Zany Haney feature. We decided, yeah. you know, it was born here on the Aquaman and Firestorm show. We're going to keep it here. Exactly, exactly. So I just thought it would be fun to go to kind of just do a quick look back at the stories that we covered and talk about what some of our favorites were and some one of our least favorites. So I, the first one is our favorite whatever happened to story of all the ones that we talked about. And you already ran down the list. It was discovered again. Our Man, Sargon, Congarella, Johnny Thunder, the Western version, and Madame 44, Golden Age Doctor Midnight, Golden Age Adam, Golden Age Robo Man, Mark Merlin and Prince Rawman, Star Hawkins, Rex the Wonder Dog, Rip Hunter, Crimson Avenger, Richard Dragon, Golden Age Airwave, Golden Age Sandman, Sandy the Golden Boy, and now, of course, the Black Pirate. So what is your favorite of that list? Not saying the best. What's your favorite? 
My absolute favorite was the Western Johnny Thunder with Madam 44. I thought that thing was freaking phenomenal. I mean, Mike Tiffenbacher and Gil Kane knocked that thing out of the park. In fact, the article we read uh, in Back Issue specifically talks about that one, how when uh, Julie Schwartz read the story, he's like, wow, this is a great story. And he brought Gil Kane on because he knew it deserved uh, someone who had drawn the character before and right. some, and really needed to, to have a fantastic artist on it. That's a good, that's a good choice. Uh, my favorite this was hard because I yes, it was. I, I think the best one is Crimson Avenger. I think that's one of the best stories, comic book stories, superhero comic book stories ever written, period. I figured that had um, to be your pick. but and it, and it is one of the few stories that actually gets me just ever so verklempt when I read it, every time I read it. Because I just the ending is so perfect, um, but I I decided to go for my favorite. Really, my my emotional favorite is Rex the Wonder Dog. <laughs> I, that one was so goofy and so just out of left field that they could make a Rex the Wonder Dog story sort of still work. And nineteen eighty, you and I were so charmed by that. Yes, because I mean you've got you've got a dog with thought balloons. <laughs> uh, we just I don't know. I we had such a good time with them, and so I would list the one and that one as my my favorite. That story is phenomenal. It is absolutely great with with the dog and the chimp both having, as you said, their own thought balloons and hearing their oh. conversations. I went back and looked it over last night a little bit uh, or two nights ago, and and Bobo's uh, thought balloons are freaking hysterical. If you go back and read them, like the way he interprets the world through his interests is just a riot. It's absolutely hilarious. That yeah, that is a yeah. super fun story. And yeah, uh, we, had, we had a blast with that one. I think it might get mentioned again in a minute. So fair I think enough. So. Now I, so, I will tell you one of my runner-ups was the Star Hawkins story. That was my second pick uh, after the Western one. And you're probably like, "What? Really? I love that story." Part of it is I'm just programmed to like Star Hawkins because I read that backup when I was a kid because uh, I had that DC Comics uh, presents issues, and so I love Star Hawkins. I love I love his sex bot. I think she's just hot. <laughs> and I think my, you know uh, Mike Tiffenbacher again, Alex Seviak, and Vince Coletta just did a great job on that story. It's so much fun. I just one of the things I loved about it. I was going back again looking at those pictures. Is that there's the opening splash page tells you every single thing you need to know about the character. I mean, it was so expertly crafted that boom, you, w- within a page you are in and you know everything you need to know about this guy. That he's a schlub. He, nothing goes his way. You know, he's a deadbeat detective. I mean, it's 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 beautiful. I love that. Story. All right. Well, now let's go to the other end of the uh, spectrum here. Your least favorite, whatever happened to story? Uh, well, I, I've read your notes, so I'll save us both the trouble and just say we both have the same pick. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We have the same pick. Uh, Richard My, Dragon, Kung Fu uh, Fighter. Yeah. With, with, yeah. with apologies I, uh, to Derek William Crabb. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> you know his. Why, why are we apologizing to him? Oh, he loves that character. Every oh, does time, it? Oh, every, all right. Every okay. time, he, and, and I'm sure this will spur another one if he's listening, every time we ever bag on Richard Dragon, we suddenly get uh, things sent to us, which are images of Richard Dragon oh, the, beating the up Firestorm and yeah, Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of action figures poses, yeah. Oh, I guess we'll hear about it in Boston. Uh, yeah, yeah, my pick was Richard Dragon, just because it was dull. You know, it was just dull. And it had that cliffhanger ending, which like, whatever happened to, like, Whatever the the villain was, Mister yep. Ling or whatever it was, and it was like, who the hell cares? Like what? Like, I I never thought Richard Dragon was that interesting a character to me. He's just like a karate guy, and I love. I think that was written by Mike W. Barr, and I love Mike yeah. W. Barr. I mean, we all know how much I defend Batman, the Outsiders from from Siskoid's vicious attacks. <laughs> but uh, I I I so I love Mike W. Barr. But it was just a kind of a, to me a dull character and a dull story. So I would say that was my least favorite of, of the run. 
I didn't feel like it was dull. I felt like it just didn't make any sense. Like one of my, again, I looked through the, the images of, of that one. Like there's this funny bit where all these bad guys keep coming out and jumping things. There's one where Richard Dragon's checking his mail, which is just like, yeah, wow. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an exciting panel. Um, it's just it, the story. I get Mike W. Barr was trying to wrap up a story from his previous run in the series, but it just, it, I didn't find it boring. I just thought it was nonsensical. So it, uh, so yeah, sorry, Derek. We, apologies from us. <laughs> I know it's not going to take. We're still going to get the angry from Uh yes. Okay, so your most surprising what happened? What happened to you, sir? Which is a little different than your favorite. I would say, like in my, in my mind, this is like if you just read on a piece of paper. Oh, they're going to do this one. Which one would you be like? Oh, that's probably not going to be any good. And then it was actually pretty good. Uh, well, the, we're going to we're going to be echoing a few things here. Uh, my most surprising was Rex the Wonder Dog. Oh, okay. uh, because okay. I didn't expect that. I expected you know a story about the dog saving some people. But when I started reading it in Bobo, Detective Chip is in it, <laughs> in, in the fact that they do th- have thought balloons that you know Rex wrestles an alligator and Bobo's oh, at a circus. So and I mean, at the end of the story, I'm not making this crap up. Rex is on the moon as an astronaut. <laughs> I mean, this, it's just crazy. So That's I was great. not expecting any of that. And I also didn't expect to love it as much as I did. So uh, that definitely came in as my most surprising story. Excellent. Well, I'm now I'm flipping back. My most surprising yep. was Johnny Thunder uh, because I'm not big on... I haven't read that many DC Western comics. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of the ones I've read, I've read like Jonah Hex and some Batlash, and I like that stuff. But I was like, Johnny Thunder is one of those characters I was like, eh, alright. Nevertheless, we loved his Who's Who listing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as drawn by Gil Kane. Uh, but, of course, that was after this. So, yes, I mean, on, on paper, I would have been like, eh, Johnny Thunder, what do I care? But I really love that story. And I also came, came away with it, like, this would still work nowadays. Like, this, they could just slot this in the back of Weird Western Tales or whatever, you know, whatever Western All Star, All Star Western is the mo- All-Star Western's the most recent one they did. All-Star Western or, or the back of Jonah Hex. Like, to me, like, this still could work as a feature. Uh, it doesn't seem old hat or anything like that. So that was my most surprising because it just, of all the characters that I was like, all right, this, this is going to be painfully dull, and it absolutely was not. So that, that Johnny Thunder gets my vote. Fair enough. Now, I, I this isn't so much a backup, but I do have one more thing to mention at least on uh, the most surprising. I was very shocked at how sexy the female airwave was by Alex Saviak ah, and Scaletta. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that surprised me and also got my attention. So that was yeah. something else. By the way, I also forgot to mention, I had a runner-up on Least Favorite. I, I completely forgot to mention this. On Least Favorite, my runner-up was Mark Merlin and Prince Rahman because that one to me was horribly boring. Horribly boring. <laughs> One of the worst character names in the history. Prince Rob. Like, what is that? What, okay. I know. You know it, it, and, it chicken it, they, flavor, meat flavor. What, what is this? And they went to a lot of efforts to weave all these different plot threads together. So, ugh. Uh, so okay. And then the last uh, thing I'm asking about is what DC character do you think most deserved a whatever happened to story? What character never got one that probably could have been dug out of retirement? So who did you – what was your pick? Well, you know how sometimes I'm not always good at answering the question you ask me? Oh, that's it's a it's an ongoing uh, feature of our lives together. Yes. So I have like ten or fifteen. So <laughs> always ordering your, off the menu. You give yours first because it's also number one on my list, uh, and then we'll go from there. All right. For anyone who's listened to Who's Who, this is going to be a very obvious answer. But uh, my pick is Ultra the Multi Alien. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody knows I love the character. You and I both love the character. He's really cool. But on top of it, he actually had not appeared in a DC comic for 15 years by this point. He had stu- he had had his run in Mystery in Space and then had not appeared again. So he was actually not only is it a character I love, he actually was a good subject for mm-hmm. whatever happened to because he had been dormant for so long. And of course, that was a character that was afflicted with this, you know, with this not a, not a disease, but was afflicted by being uh, split into four beings. So, like, you could have resolved his story in a whatever happened to it. There, there's a natural conclusion to the character's arc that you could have done. So, I think that's I, I went through Who's Who, which was fun, going through a bunch of old Who's Who, and just like I was making character, you know, I was like kind of going, mm-hmm. oh, that one. And then if I found a better pick, I was like, okay, that no, now they've been displaced by this person. And a minute, <laughs> then I got, and then I got to the end i got to ultra i'm like all right i'm done that's it that's the number one pick ultra the multi-alien yeah i mean that i did my list sort of similarly i, I went through who's who i went through a lot of different sources and uh once i got to ultra i went to the top of the list but knowing full well you were probably going to pick it too so all right so you talked about sort of the rules of this feature right um so the so the Whatever Happened to feature ran from September 1980 to August 1982. So I used that as my model and said, okay, so I need to find characters that have been out of circulation for a while from that time period to play fair. So uh, obviously Ultra qualifies. The next one I had uh, that I felt like really qualified was – and this is a character who's near and dear to my heart – is the Red Bee. Uh, oh. I love this character. I do. And he did not have any appearances since 1942. Uh, now he does, he does come. I know he does come back in 1984, uh, which is not too long from here. But uh, and he also he falls under the tenant of Golden Age characters, so Roy Thomas would have shut that down. But Red B would have been a fantastic character to bring back. So he'd been dormant for so long, and there's a lot of fun things you can do with him. So uh, other ones. So then once we step away from the Golden Age thing and say, okay, well you know Roy Thomas is going to shut all the fun ones down. So who else can I get? So I reached out for non-traditional superhero characters, uh, sort of like Star Hawkins kind of thing. So uh, Space Cabby. Would have been a great one to bring back. Space Cabby did not have any appearances from 1958 until Who's Who in 1985. So he would have been a fantastic character to bring back. I don't know if you know. He, no, he'd be. Remember that Justice League action cartoon that we really enjoyed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like a he's like a reoccurring major character in there. So Space Cabby is sort of out in the in the populace pop culture again. So Space Cabby would have been fun. Uh, so Space Museum was another one. That's a personal one uh, that's, uh, that I love near and dear to my heart. It, it hadn't appeared. Well, it had one appearance in a Justice League comic in September 1982. But before that, it hadn't appeared since 1964. Uh, then I thought about Anthro. Which would have been a good one as well. Uh, now he hadn't appeared since 1969, except for an appearance in Showcase Number 100. Right, right. Yep. Uh, and then Balloon Buster was one of, ah, my, our was one of my favorite picks. Now, but this is getting more into the Bronze Age, though, because he had not had an appearance since 1974. But he does start getting a feature in April of 1982. And this is about the time that all these older characters start making appearances in books. Now, Balloon Buster started appearing in one of the war comics they started publishing in 1982. So he got a strip uh, along a similar situation with Haunted Tank, who hadn't had an appearance since 1977. Well, he starts getting a a strip in 1982 as well. Uh, Similarly, uh, Cinnamon, I thought would be another good one. Cinnamon, who had a backup in 1978. She only had two issues in that backup. Disappeared, but then she reoccurred uh, in a JLA issue and then in 1982. Uh, Challenges of the Unknown. Think about that. Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, they hadn't been seen since 1978. They do start getting a strip again in 1982. All of them come back in 82. So then uh, the other one, the last couple I had on my list were um, the Kirby Sandman. Like this was the, you know, the Ditko Starman. Well, the Kirby Sandman had been seen since 1976. <laughs> 
So I well, you laugh, sure, okay. No, but no, what I'm laughing is what I, I don't want to interrupt, but it made me think of something. But go ahead. Okay, uh, he did reoccur- he did reappear in seven uh, September 1982, and then Shade the Changing Man, which I thought would would be interesting. I thought he would be kind of a good one to re- revisit. Uh, hadn't been seen since 1978, and wouldn't reappear till 1986 and like post crisis kind of stuff. Now the, the the other ones which are obvious, which I didn't put on the list, were all the forgotten heroes, because most of them really had disappeared. But they would uh, they would appear in Forgotten Heroes, which actually came out after the Whatever Happened to feature in right. July 1983. You got Animal Man, Cave Carson, uh, Dolphin, Sea Devils, a lot of other characters as well. But uh, Forgotten Heroes is sort of a – in fact, we could cover the Forgotten Heroes someday uh, as part of this feature, I suppose, because it, it sort of is a, a successor of Whatever Happened to, I think. Oh, they even mentioned that in that back issue article, that they realized that that kind of idea that you could dredge up these old characters could be used as – the main feature didn't need to be a backup, which is sort of morphed into the forgotten heroes. Yeah. And I, uh, I, the, I do want to say the reason I laughed at when you mentioned Sandman yeah. is that that made me think of all the different Kirby features that he did for first issue special. Oh, and we, we've chronicled that series and it realized like virtually every character that first appeared in that strip could have come back for whatever happened to, because sure. they were all one-offs. They were the dingbats of danger street, uh, the green team, uh, the the outsiders, our beloved lady cop. Yep. Uh, I mean, you really could have just gone through first issue special and just done a whole year of whatever happened to based off that series alone, which is another series we have yet to complete. That's on true. This podcast. Now, to be fair, there was one first issue special character that kept going. Uh, the, 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 oh, Warlord. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Warrior Warlord was the big hit yep. out of that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And while I was doing this process, not to give more names because I won't, but I actually had another list of people I had on my list originally, and I had to cross them off. Because I found out they were actually being published from 1980 to 1982, and I didn't realize. Batman, uh, we know. Batman's being published. Right? Batman, Batman was one of them. Good call. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I came up with a whole bunch of characters I would have loved to have seen featured. Uh, of course, again, uh, Ultra the Multi-Alien and Red B, you're the winners, though. I think those are the two. By the way, uh, mentioning Batman, that was something that, that they talked about in that article was that that was an idea Mike Tiefenbacher had was he wanted to do a whatever happened to like an alternate world Batman who retired and then came out of retirement. And I'm like, wow, he's really pushing the format. And apparently Julia Schwartz was like, this is impossible to follow. We're not doing this. But I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the classic To Kill a Legend story that Alan Brenner did in Detective Comics 500, which is. You know, the, a Batman that we know, but but slightly different. So it's, that's an interesting idea. Um, the well, final date—it's basically an Elseworlds. So. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. The final data point that we wanted to mention was: Would this make a good trade paperback? Uh, if you collect all these stories now, of course, forgetting aside the putting aside the the commerciality of it, because these mostly are characters that are not terribly popular. So, I mean, they really wouldn't headline a trade paperback. And art-wise, there was a lot of Vince Coletta, a lot of Joe Giella, that, you know, guys that were just kind of jobbers, and that really wouldn't work uh, as a way to sell it as a trade paperback. There's not a lot of sizzle there. Um, but, I mean, you could literally do it, and that, I think we totaled up all the pages of these stories, and it makes for about 148 pages, which is okay. kind of thin for a trade, trade paperback. But something else that I learned in that back issue article was that, that they did bring this strip back in Green Lantern Quarterly, mm-hmm. uh, under yeah. Kevin Dooley, I had no idea. I haven't read any of the stories, but I didn't know that was a thing. It, 
the, the article makes it sound a lot more like it's in this vein. It's not really. Oh, uh, okay. The, basically what they do is they, they talk about some Green Lanterns that you had seen previously. Uh, a lot of times, though, it's just a lead-in to go read the monthly book, like saying, whatever happened to this character? And you get a little teaser, and then you got to read the main Green Lantern book to find out where oh, the story goes next. Uh, other times, if I remember right, um, I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I think they make up some Lanterns, too, for that, sort of like what they used to do in the back of the, the, the Green Lantern core uh, annuals and stuff like that. So it's it doesn't feel like a direct successor. I, I get what the article's going for, but I don't know that it really fit. All right, fair enough. I mean, do, I don't know. Do you think this would make a great trade paperback? Because I think there were, in terms of the stories, I would say a third of them are superb, a third of them are pretty good, and a third of them are pretty eh. So I don't know. Would that hold up in your mind as a trade? Well, see, okay, you changed the rules on me here just now. Cause Don't you hate it when you, someone does that? I know. You, we had we, The question was simply, would it make a good trade paperback? You didn't tell me whether you mean in 1982 or, or 2000. Oh, I mean now. I mean okay, now. well, okay. But, but the piece you didn't mention was c- commercial success viability. Ignore that. Because that's, yeah. you know, because from a commercial success point of view, no, this would not be a good trade paperback. But if we ignore the commercial success opportunity, you're asking, you're asking a baited field where two guys who just spent eight years going through these things and love them. So yeah, I think it'd make a great trade paperback, but I don't know that I'm someone who can fairly judge that because I love this. And you know what? Sometimes the missed stories aren't, they're not still not bad. They're still entertaining and they're different and you know, you get a different type of character. And the nice thing about it is each one is a complete story. That's the cool thing is you get eight pages, you learn the history of the character and where they go. So they're, they're really nice, tight, well-done scripts. So yeah, I, I would love it. I think it'd be great. But then again, it might sell two copies, one to you, one to me. Yeah, th- then again, you and I have been chronicling who's who for the last seven years, so we are not <laughs> exactly the, the perfect audience for that. Well, actually, we are the perfect audience. Well, we, actually, we are the perfect audience, but we're there. We're not the we're we're not the audience. If you want to sell more than three copies, right? Exactly. So, what's your answer? Uh, yeah, I mean the same thing. I'd love to see these all collected. I think it'd be really fun. And like I said, I think of the best of these: the Crimson Avenger, the Rex, the Wonder Dog, the Johnny Thunder. Uh, I'll even throw in Star Hawkins for you. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, there's a lot of really great material here, and I'm always a fan of getting stuff that's really good collected because otherwise people don't get to read it. I mean, yeah. nobody, no, no random comic book fan is going to go bother to dig up an old issue of DC Comics Presents to read an eight-page Johnny Thunder story. Why would they? <laughs> uh, you know, the only reason we read it is because we decided to start chronicling the series. Uh, but I mean, the only one that ever gets reprinted was the Crimson Avenger one because everybody knew from the beginning how good that was. That made the um, Best of DC Digest that year. I mean, oh, everybody wow. knew right from the beginning that was a winner. So, but the rest of them are just kind of forgotten in the back pages, and uh, you know they deserve to get dusting off because there's some really, really good stuff here. Well, in the meantime, there is no trade, but you can again go out to the DC app, and they are there. I checked to see if those backups would be part of the story, or if the DC Comics Presents just featured the Superman lead feature. But no, it does appear that. They're all there. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, so you can go in the DC app and read them, which is, is super fun. Um, yeah, I've, made, I've been so happy with the app, finding, just finding stuff like this. And also the, the reprint quality is just stunning. They're just gorgeous. So, yeah. Well, that was super fun. What a fun little walk down uh, memory lane and good way to wrap up the series. I really appreciate that you uh, suggesting that, Rob. I'm really glad that we finally did it after a year. I was like, we really let this go, and I really wanted to do it. And so, yeah, and I'm really glad it went out on a – on a winner, like I love that Starman story. I, yes. I love I love being pleasantly surprised. So that was that was a real real blast. 
Awesome. Well, folks, why don't you write in the comments, tell us which stories you like the best out of the whatever happened to, and tell us which characters you think deserved the whatever happened to. Remember the rules. You know, look at the time and when they were published and when they weren't, things like that. Don't don't name anyone else that Roy Thomas would get upset about. So, you know, we don't want to upset Roy. So put that in the comments. And what's that website, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep. And I'll post some of the images out there on our website as well in a gallery post for uh, some of the Starman images and some of the Black Pirate images so you can check those out if, if you can't get your hands on the comics right now. And with that, I think, you know, hit us up on Twitter uh, with FW Podcast or Rob's got all the other handles on Twitter. You know, and, of course, we're on Facebook with Fire and Water Podcast Network. And I, I think that's going to do it. I think so. So you know you're going to – in the editing, you're going to have to put that wonderful sound bite you put in there for like a year straight of you doing uh, Detective, Detective Chim. Chim. Oh, yeah. It's in the folder. Yeah, don't worry. Perfect. I got it. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. Until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down. Or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you trouble they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair they stand for truth and justice and see a land in there aquaman and firestorm they make a super pair aquaman and firestorm super friends forever yeah Chick-chick-wah, wood-wood brick.